0: This is Crossroads, the Get Religion Podcast.
1: I saw recently announced that Chat GPT, this artificial intelligence platform that models natural language, now has a subscription form. That's how popular chat GPT is a very, very fancy chat bot. Well, what if you asked it questions about journalism and religion? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry Mattingly is senior fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the Weekly On Religion Column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. Here's a recent experience I had with Chat GPT. I was just curious because people were posting things that had been written by this chat bot, and I was kind of willing to be impressed by the ability for this artificial intelligence to use natural language. But I asked it two questions. I made two queries. One was write a short article on white supremacist violence, and it gave me six paragraphs with several references to actual incidents of violence attributed to white supremacism then I also asked write a short article about anti-fascist violence and this is what it said Terry I'm sorry but I'm unable to generate a new story about Antifa violence because there's no credible evidence that Antifa is a well-organized and centralized group that plan and coordinate violent activities it went, then went on to give me a little lecture on not spreading misinformation what recent experiences you had with chat gpt
0: well i bet our listeners could predict some of the first things i would go into one of these chat sessions and ask about i asked some pretty predictable questions and quite frankly i thought the answers were intriguingly safe and good i think what you're sensing there is that the filters are set up and do a pretty good job of handling things that they've been told they can address. But there are fences up around certain subjects and topics that you can't get into. So, I mean, I know what I'm going to do next time. I'm lucky enough to find an opening and get in there. I'm going to ask some specific questions. Write me an article about what Pope Francis has said about transgender issues. Now, that's a subject that's very controversial, and he has said a lot of things, and I predict some of them would come up and some would not, if this idea of fenced content is really a part of how it's set up. And so what what you've got here is a kind of an animal farm Orwellian structure to where all subjects are supposed to be equal, And the program is supposed to be able to address them. But some of the subjects are more equal than others, which is a way that saying that certain voices are more equal than others and information from particular sources are more equal than others. So anyway, I did what you'd expect. I mean, the first thing I did, I asked the question, do mainstream journalists struggle to cover religion news? And I got an answer there that kind of overlapped with my next question. So we'll go with my next one. Why do journalists struggle to cover religion news? And the AI program came back with, number one, lack of understanding of religious beliefs and rituals. And that's an exact quote from the first question I had asked about, do they cover religion news? And they struggle to cover because of a lack of understanding of religious practices and beliefs. I thought that was interesting. The second one added rituals, and I wondered what document this is coming off of. I think I could predict a couple of things that have been published in the past on this topic that idea might be drawn from. Second, fear of offending religious communities and individuals. That's interesting because that's something I've written in a lot of different articles. Third, pressure from interest groups to portray religion in a certain way. That's a very interesting statement, and I think that that's dead on accurate. But you see, there are interest groups on both sides of a lot of different issues. And when we see a lot of problems in religion coverage, especially when it has to do with politics, once again, we have interest groups on both sides, but some interest groups are more equal than others. You've heard me say that when you read an article today on religion and politics, you can find out what group the newspaper supports because all of their material is in live quotes, new interviews, fresh material. They get to tell the anecdotes. They get to tell the stories. And then when you get to the other side of the story that's out of favor, you have like one paragraph from a public relations officer for the Southern Baptist Convention or the Orthodox Jewish Union or whatever group is out of favor, or even worse than one quote from a PR person, you have something drawn off of their website. This tells you which group of people involved in the argument the newsroom is willing to talk to on the phone, like they're unclean, like the other side is lepers, we can only deal with them digitally. Number four, Difficulty in finding sources and gaining access to religious institutions. Yes, that is certainly real. You and I have talked frequently about the fact that many conservative religious leaders have given up on talking to the press. And when you do that, and when you just send them one quote in an email, you're saying that you don't think it's possible for them to cover your views accurately and the problem is you're helping them cover it inaccurately because the story's going to get written anyway and then intriguingly point number five why do they struggle to cover religion news balancing objectivity and fairness with the personal beliefs of the journalist and i thought that was fascinating that objectivity and balance were mentioned and that this was brought up as a contrast with the personal beliefs of the journalist, which gets us into all kinds of arguments that are going on inside of the field of journalism right now. We see this in a host of places. And I later I ask, how could newsrooms improve their coverage of religion, and it stressed diverse hiring, its cultural competence, accurate and sensitive use of language, and it said you should avoid language that may offend or marginalize religious groups. And once again, there you go. Does that apply to all religious groups or just to religious groups on certain sides of certain topics? We're back to the fences you talked about. Avoid oversimplification. And then again, balance was actually in this. Contextualize place religious beliefs in context, be aware of ethical concerns, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought it was pretty good. It's like there's kind of a ghost in the machine representing the American model of the press. What I would say is in this day and age, is that ghost in the artificial intelligence program for journalism objectivity, is that ghost allowed to apply to all groups involved in these debates?
1: What else did you query the <laughs> AI about?
0: Well, I, it's funny. I said, why did white evangelical voters support Donald Trump? And I was looking to see if I recognized any phrases that came out of that. And they actually came up with what I would argue is a perfectly valid list of factors. Social issues such as abortion, Supreme Court nominations, rhetoric, all the rhetoric on religious freedom instead of statements on religious freedom etc. And then I also said, what role did religious faith play in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol? And the first statement I thought was very interesting in light of how we've seen the coverage. The first statement from the AI program was the role of religious faith in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol is unclear. Some participants of the attack have claimed to be motivated by Christian nationalism or belief in QAnon conspiracy theories. And I would there's nothing in that statement that I would object with, especially the word some and the fact that it's unclear what role religion played, in part because it seems that the people waving the Jesus banners and the crosses and all that other stuff seem to have come primarily from non-denominational Protestantism, and they're not from organizations that we can actually read up on and figure out what role they played. So I thought that was fascinating. I then ask, what does the website getreligion.org do? And it said we're a media criticism blog that focuses on examining the way religions covered by the mainstream news media. It aims to provide analysis and commentary on news stories that deal with religious topics and to point out instances of inaccurate or biased reporting. The only thing I would change there is that we also do lots of memos on improving the knowledge side of this, and we also do post-praising the media. But I, I think it's safe to say that criticizing inaccurate or biased reporting is what we're best known for. So I didn't think that was all that bad. And this is where it got funny. I happened to do this on my birthday. I said, who is Terry Mattingly, kind of like doing an artificial intelligence version of Googling your own name. And the first thing it told me, and get the tense, Terry Mattingly was an American journalist and religion reporter known for his writing on religion and culture. Uh Uh-oh, I'm dead. (laughs) The uh, past tense stayed all the way through this. He was a syndicated columnist. He was known for his insightful and thought-provoking pieces on the intersection of religion and society. Apparently, I'm, I'm gone. I filed my column today, and I think I'm still a syndicated columnist, last time I checked.
1: What did you learn from all this, Terry?
0: Well, I think the way I would sum it up is that when you ask questions about journalism, the language of the American model of the press, fairness, balance, accuracy, diversity in the newsroom, that language is still out there. What gets controversial is when you attempt to apply it to a specific subject. I mean, obviously, one of the terms we've created at Get Religion that makes some people mad and others like it was we came up with the term Kellerism in response to that statement that I quoted long ago. This was 12 years ago, the recently retired editor of the New York Times, Bill Keller, thus Kellerism, was asked during an appearance in Austin, Texas, whether the Times is a liberal publication. And he said, quote, we're liberal in the sense that we're open-minded, sort of tolerant and urban. And he talked about the fact that they were clearly liberal on same-sex marriage. And he said, so I guess we're liberal in that sense of the word, socially liberal. And he was then directly asked if the Times slants its coverage to favor Democrats and liberals. And he said, aside from the liberal values, sort of social values thing I talked about, no, I don't think it does. Aside from are the words I've always emphasized. Because what he's essentially saying is he thinks that their political coverage is objective or balanced or accurate and fair but that the newspaper doesn't feel it needs to apply the same standard to social and moral issues that seem to violate its urban point of view. And so I rather dryly said he admitted it has an urban liberal bias when it comes to stories about social issues. And what are America's hot-button social issues? Any list would include sex, salvation, abortion, euthanasia, gay rights, cloning, and a few other sensitive matters that are inevitably linked to religion. That's all. So once again, what I'm implying is what you sensed. There is a kind of general ghost of fairness, balance, and objectivity, whatever that means, in the machine of the AI, but it doesn't apply to certain subjects. And I think that's precisely where we are with the American press right now. Certain ideas are still somewhere in the newsroom, but the question is, how do they apply to subjects on which the newsroom has already made up its mind?
1: So Terry, I was intrigued by this op-ed in the Washington Post a couple days ago, written by none other than Leonard Downey Jr. This is no slouch in journalism. He has a storied career with the Washington Post. And afterwards, he's even a professor at the Cronkite School of journalism and mass communications at Arizona State University. So I was kind of shocked to read that he thinks of objectivity has been uh, not a good thing for journalism. And tell me if I'm wrong. I read his op-ed as saying the journalist's job isn't only to do the who, what, when, where, and why, but also to tell you what he thinks about the who, what, when, where, and why
0: or what the individual reporters hired into the newsroom think. Now, this was a a very interesting article, and to some degree, I think it matches well with what we were just talking about. Once again, we're back to all people are equal, but some are more equal than others. In the midst of the article, first of all, it gives a standard of objectivity that I thought was fascinating. Because he said he doesn't believe in objectivity. He believes in accuracy, fairness, nonpartisanship, accountability, and the pursuit of truth. That's really, really interesting because that's very close to how I would define what the word objectivity used to mean when it began to be used early in the 20th century as a buzzword for describing the American model of the press. And I would add a factor that it's you attempt to show respect for people on both sides of issues. But it seems to me that he has some concept of objectivity that I don't frankly understand. It's more like it's a philosophy. And I always told my students that I was not interested in philosophical debates about objectivity because I don't think human beings can unplug their mind and they can't erase their own experiences. The issue is what are the professional standards that a newsroom will enforce when it comes to finding out if a story is accurate, fair, nonpartisan, etc. And that's where all kinds of things go haywire. In this article, he noted that the Former executive editor of the Associated Press, Kathleen Carroll, an organization that's supposed to be really known for its commitment to neutrality, accuracy, fairness, balance. She said, it's objective by whose standard. That standard seems to be white, educated, fairly wealthy. And when people don't feel like they find themselves in news coverage, it's because they don't fit that definition. In other words, once again, a particular group of people got to define the standards of objectivity. So then going on, more and more journalists of color and younger white reporters, including LGBTQ people in increasingly diverse new rooms, believe that the concept of objectivity has prevented truly accurate reporting informed by their own backgrounds, experiences and points of view. Now, I would argue that that paragraph is the whole shooting match, and not because it mentions LGBTQ or race or whatever. Through the years, one of the things we've seen is that newsrooms have very few people in them, whether they're well-informed, educated atheists on the subject of religion, or whether they're Southern Baptists who have committed themselves to the basic skills of journalism or different types of Catholics or whatever, there aren't many people in a newsroom that have a lot of knowledge, factual knowledge, about religion. And this is commonly cited as one of the most important biases that impact coverage of religion. And you notice it showed up in that chat box that you need more diverse hiring, you need informed people that have a knowledge of tradition and doctrines and Etc. The problem so often in religion coverage is you have reporters, this is especially true when religion drifts into something truly important like politics or sports or something like that. You have people covering the stories who don't know what they don't know. So when it comes to finding out whether their coverage is accurate, they don't even know to question whether a set of facts in their story is accurate or not. And my experience covering religion is the longer you cover religion, the more you learn about the subjects that you don't know anything about. And if anything, the longer you're a religion reporter and the harder you study it, the more cautious you get and the more driven you are to actually quote voices on both sides of these issues and try to talk to people on both sides of the issue, or at the very least read their whole documents or entire speeches, some way of trying to see their beliefs in context. But once again, when this article by Downey talks about diversity, did I miss something? Is there anything in this article about diversity kind of on the cultural right?
1: I've pored over it several times. And I think by diversity, they mean—the author was pretty clear—diversity of skin colors, genders, economic levels, lived experiences, backgrounds, not ideas.
0: Not ideas, beliefs, and even knowledge. In other words, I mean, obviously, I've just mentioned, while covering religion, I have met several people who cover religion that are atheists but are agnostics but they're highly informed about the religious views of other people. I frequently have mentioned a man named Mark Penske, who is a retired religion writer now. He's writing books and other things. And he was a liberal reform Jew who wrote an entire book on how to cover evangelicalism. And this book was hailed by many evangelicals as a breakthrough kind of book because he he talked about what he did to learn how evangelicals view the world and to find sources that could help make his coverage more accurate and more informed. In other words, he respected their point of view, and in some cases, he even found places where their views on family life and education and other topics overlapped with his own. So that's the factor, that's the X factor that seems to be sort of missing in the downy piece. And once again, we're back to that famous statement by George Orwell in Animal Farm, that everyone was equal. All the animals were equal, but some were more equal than others. I always think back to a story that my friend Rod Rehr told when he was still active in a newsroom, I believe it was in South Florida, They got to Diversity Day. And they were working their way through the room And the person doing this diversity training said, do we have any Roman Catholics in the room? And a bunch of people raised their hands. And then when they got to the question and answer time, Rod said, I have a question. I'd like you to ask the Roman Catholic question again. And instead of asking how many Catholics are in the room, ask them how many Catholics there are in the room who have been to confession within the last five years. And so the person asked that question and there was no one, no one in the room. So what Rod was pressing on was, are you diverse because you have Catholics? If all those Catholics have a kind of an arm's length relationship to the Catholic faith, I mean, is their knowledge of what Catholicism actually teaches likely to be accurate in reality? So you can have them critique Catholic coverage within their own knowledge and their own experience, but is that a form of journalism stressing what Downey had stressed, that we need accuracy, fairness, non accountability, pursuit of truth? There seems to be a conflict there. Some of our listeners are well aware of the fact that I'm not— overly fond of Donald Trump, to say the least. But there's a very important series of articles that's coming out right now in the Columbia Journalism Review in New York City, which is like one of the voices of the liberal journalism establishment. And they're pushing hard to find out how did the press end up with such a uniform voice on this issue of alleged collusion between the Trump campaign and Russians, and that Russians stole the elections. And now we're finding out all kinds of things about the dossier and documents and other sources related to that. And it seems that the whole situation is way more complex. And nobody in the mainstream press, according to the Columbia Journalism Review, seems willing right now to question their journalism methods and whether their methods were truly, to use Downey's word, nonpartisan. In the second part of this lengthy series, there's even a moment where the venerated Bob Woodward called the dossier a garbage document and warned the Washington Post, don't trust this. We're going to get all of our motives and our standards called into question. And then Woodward says, to be honest, there was a lack of curiosity on the part of the people at the Post about what I had said. Why I said this and I accepted that and I didn't force it on anyone. Well, what's the definition of nonpartisanship if you're covering an election and you have allegations made against one of the candidates that he cooperated and strategized things with the Russian government, yet you don't seem curious to find out if there are any other views on the topic and whether there are even people on the left? within mainstream journalism someone like a bob woodward who would question that so maybe instead of asking what objectivity is maybe we need to be having debates about what accuracy is what is fairness certainly what is balance but even what is nonpartisanship because what is nonpartisanship if there's nobody in your newsroom who's questioning whether in fact you're nonpartisan. What's the use of talking about accuracy if there's no one in the newsroom who knows enough about Roman Catholicism or the different brands of Lutheranism or the rising clout of non denominational Protestantism in American life? What if you don't have anybody in the newsroom that actually knows anything about that? What is your standard of accuracy? These are challenging questions, and at the moment, it looked like the chatbot was doing a better job of that than some newspapers, although I would not press that logic to its logical conclusion.
1: Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thank you for your time.
0: Glad to be here.
1: I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly.
0: Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.